This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? Our Nation News Podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Red Nation Hoops on Twitter. You're joined by a special guest and guy I haven't talked to in about basketball in a long time, Ben Dubose. How you doing, man? Doing well, Solomon. As good as any Rockets fan can be, I guess, after uh, a little bit of a gut punch this weekend. How are you, buddy? I'm doing all right. Um, and I, I'm assuming you're referring to Carmelo Anthony, and uh, I have some thoughts on this. Um, so, yeah. Obviously, uh, if you guys aren't already uh, caught up, Carmel Anthony was traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder this weekend, um, and Twitter kind of exploded uh, from all ends, the Oklahoma City uh, Thunder angle and the Rockets angle in the in that they weren't able to complete this deal that seemed like a it's I don't know if it, I don't know about you, but it, it seemed like a done deal for the most part throughout. The, it felt like an inevitability. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, mm. Throughout the course of the summer, it just felt like it was going to happen, and I think I think that was a big reason for. Uh, I I think that's a big reason See? that everybody was so angry, and the other reason is I I just think that the fact that it went that Carmelo went to a rival. Yes. Is what really sparked the anger, right? Because there was it would have been a lot of. If there, it was Cleveland, it would have been a lot easier to take. Yeah, or or if he stayed anywhere in the East, for that matter. Like, it, but yeah. the fact that he went to a rival in the Oklahoma City Thunder, I think that sparked a lot of the, the and, animosity. And and there's uh, still a little bit, there's still a little bit of lingering bitterness too over the Thunder getting Paul George at such a discounted rate, inexplicably, which I think was less about Sam Presti being a genius and more about the Pacers for whatever reason making a panic move. Maybe it's Victor Eladipo being an you know an Indiana alum. I don't know what it is. I think that's more about the Pacers doing something dumb than it was anything about uh, Sam Presti being a magician. But yeah, I think there's just a little bit of residual bitterness against Oklahoma City. Everything from the Paul George trade, Russell Westbrook winning the MVP. And so I think for, you know, even though the Rockets beat Oklahoma City in the playoffs, there's still this animosity because for whatever reason, the Thunder have gotten a few things that I think Rockets fans think they don't really deserve. I think that's a fair characterization of it. Yeah, I, w- I would certainly uh, say that. That that feels like what, what where all the anger is coming from. Um, but nevertheless, he's on the thunder, and nobody can really do anything about it. And I have some thoughts about this. Um, first, uh, Sam Presti did an awesome job this summer with limited resources. Uh, sure, he, sh- he should be really commended, and he's going to be a heavy front runner in the in that executive of the year uh, race this year, along with uh, you know Houston general manager Daryl Morey. Um, 
second, like, I'm not upset about this. And a cu- there's a couple reasons for this. Uh, one, uh, I-, I think as many of the listeners know, and uh, a lot of people who follow me on Twitter, I'm not that high on Carmel Anthony. And I, right. Yeah, and I just haven't been high on Carmel Anthony in, like, some time now. It's been about, like, four years since I thought he was really an elite, elite player that was worth going after. And, you know, like, at this point in his career, what Oklahoma City was – not Oklahoma City, what – what New York was asking for in that trade, I mean, if, if the reports are true, was just entirely too much for the Rockets to swallow. Um, and, you know, like, I, I don't think the Rockets could have come up with a better offer than what Oklahoma City had. And, like, I, I just don't think he's enough of a difference maker that you waste all your assets on him. Like, I, I think it's I, worth standing pat. I, I agree. And he's not the difference makers where you go all in because if you were to use some of the chips that they were – said to want, such as Trevor Ariza and Eric Gordon, you would have no further mobility in terms of future trades. You would obviously have no cap room with uh, Chris Paul, Carmelo, Anthony James Harden making almost $80 million just between those, I think more than $80 million actually, between just those three players combined. You would be locked in to that as your core for at least the next two years. And for me, I don't think those guys, uh, well, I, of course I like Chris Paul and James Harden, but I don't think that core, I just don't think Carmelo Anthony is good enough to be worth that. And that's why I like talking to you because I feel like you're a little bit more, you know, rational about it than a lot of fans. I think a lot of fans get starstruck by the name Carmelo Anthony and think he's the same guy he was when he was 28 or when he was 23 out of Syracuse. And my take, look, I think he could be a nice one for one upgrade over Ryan Anderson. I think he can do a lot of the same things we talked before about his catch and shoot potential, how his numbers are fairly similar to Ryan, but obviously more scoring. So yeah, he could have helped you. He could have given you a, a similar space, spacing the floor dynamic from that four spot. But he's his inefficiencies, his defensive liabilities, his declining athleticism, all those things that are true of Carmelo now at 33, about to be 34. He's only a star in name. He's not a star in impact. So you have to be uh, cautious in what you give for him. And the difference, show the irony, of course, with the uh, it's tough to pile too much on the Knicks because with the, the Knicks and the Rockets there are only so many ways to make the math work. Now I know according to the, the Woj story they were looking for a wing scorer and all this other stuff and a, a, right. a wing scorer a draft, draft pick. Yeah. Salary relief. Ultimately they didn't get that. Ultimately the, you know, the funny thing in, in this is that the package they got for Oklahoma City was awfully similar in terms of what I'm sure was being offered from Houston. Just the difference is that in his Cantor's deal expires in 2019 as opposed to uh, Ryan Anderson's, which expires in 2020. And I understand that is a big deal for a team that's rebuilding like the Knicks. That extra year, is a it, that is a significant thing. And getting one less year on the contract, it, it, it does help New York. And from a Houston standpoint, unless you're willing to give Trevor Reese and Eric Gordon, which I'm certainly not, then there's not much else you could do because you have to make the math work. And, you know, I laugh because some of the, the feedback, I know people are upset because it felt like an inevitability. We have seen some saying, well, if only you hadn't traded all those players for Chris Paul. Well, folks, how else were you going to get Chris Paul? If you were to sign him in free agency, you would have had to trade pretty much those same guys anyway to get under the cap to that amount, if not not more, because I'm sure other teams in free agency would have been offering the max, which for Chris would have been like $35 So there was just – the bottom line is Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, even with Chris opting in, those guys make over $50 million combined. So to make it work – from a Houston perspective, you have to send $50 million plus out. That's just the way it works in the NBA, and there's no easy way to do that without sending out Ryan Anderson. And unfortunately, 
the Thunder just had a slightly better path because Enos Cantor's deal it, it expires one year earlier. So I don't see it as an indictment on Daryl. And as far as my you know reflections, I, I'm right there with you. You know, it's a little bit of a loss because yes, I would take Carmelo over Ryan, but. A, I don't think Ryan's a bad player at all, as I think you've done a great job illustrating on Twitter the last couple of days. Ryan was a big part of this team last year, and just because he was cold in the playoffs, I think a lot of people have overlooked just how valuable he was over the course of 82 games, and really, he could have been in the playoffs as well. It just so happened that he picked a bad time to go cold. I don't think it had that much to do with the playoffs per se. It's just everybody goes through certain stretches where their shot mechanically is not all the way there, and his happened to be in the playoffs. It's unfortunate, but over the balance of you know, 100 games, however many the Rockets played preseason, regular season, playoffs, he was a helpful player to them. He's not Carmelo Anthony, but he's still pretty good. So, you know, it's a loss because I would have liked Carmelo, but it's not a devastating thing because it's like you would have gotten an incremental upgrade to your starting lineup, but he is not the missing piece. He is not the third star to where you get Carmelo and you say, wow, we're on the level of the Warriors. No, you you have a puncher's chance now. But to get truly to that Warriors tier, you needed one more acquisition regardless of whether you had Carmelo Anthony or not. So that's why, you know, it's a little bit of a loss because I think he would have been a slight upgrade on Ryan. And, of course, it would have brought some energy to the fan base. And I'm sure that locker room, you know, I'm not oblivious to relationships he has with Chris Paul and James Harden. But big picture, I just don't see him as that star that a lot of Rockets fans do based on their name. He's a perfectly nice player. But I just don't see him as the difference maker. And so I think we're in complete agreement there. Right. And I, I think a lot of the disagreement is because, like, Carmelo just doesn't have the same exposure that he used to have. And he's not on national TV any anymore. Yes. So, so nobody really sees how good he actually is now. You know, he's lost a, a lot, like, in terms of athleticism. And he's his foot speed is just not the same as it was anymore. At this point, he's, he's pretty much just a jump shooter who can attack closeouts. Uh, which I, I, I guess you can say it's a, it's a talent upgrade over Anderson. But, like... Ryan Anderson was like so instrumental in Houston's turnaround last year, and I said this on Twitter yeah. yesterday. And I, I, I'm 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 concerned that Rockets fans are kind of just viewing him as a bad contract. I mean, this guy's a good player, man. Like he yes, he can extend three feet beyond the three point line, which 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 is something Carmelo can't do. And he provided True. a crazy amount of space for James Harden, and you know was a big reason that offense was so good last year. The Rockets were one of the eight best offenses in NBA history last year. And a lot of that was because of Ryan Anderson. And um, he's probably the best power forward that's ever played with James Harden. And, you know, th- that might not be, like, a convincing statement, but, I mean, it- it's true. I mean, can you think of any, like, Demo, Terrence Jones, uh, Josh Smith? He's better than all those guys. And you, f- you have somebody who's a good rotation player. And, um, sure, he's overpaid, but in-, in compared to all the other bad contracts in the NBA, he's useful and overpaid, right? Like... Like uh, there's uh, there's other contracts yes. in the NBA like Joakim Noah, like Joakim Noah isn't providing much to an NBA rotation anymore, much less a champ a team that's you know willing to contend for a championship. Uh, Ryan Anderson is like he provides and, a lot to the Rockets. He's a starter. And and the other thing, I feel like he was a popular whipping boy because you know he didn't shoot his best in the playoffs, and then you combine it with him being the obvious guy rumored to go out and all these big moves this summer, you know, before the Rockets. Got Chris Paul, it was speculated that, well, they might have to go after Chris Paul in free agency, in which case they would shed Ryan. And so it's been easy to kind of rewrite history. And I'm not saying he's a good defender, but if you actually go back and watch those games, especially against Oklahoma City, they played him 30-plus minutes in a lot of those games. I'm not going to say he's a plus defender. I'm not going to lie and distort that. But he was not Enos Cantor, to use a perfect analogy in the trade. He was passable. He worked. He certainly doesn't have the foot speed. 
but I don't think he was a disaster in the playoffs. He was productive, and even though he didn't miss, even though he didn't make his shots, still that spacing was still a factor, and he helped. It's one of those things that just so happened that he went cold at an inopportune time, and I feel like a lot of Rockets fans between that and then him being on the block, allegedly for Chris Paul, and then certainly for Carmelo Anthony, have kind of just rewritten history to make him the fall guy for a lot of what happened in the playoffs and what happened in the playoffs, you know, yeah, it's unfortunate that he missed a few shots, but let's not like, I keep, let's not act as if he was this enormous negative and this huge problem for this team that they just couldn't overcome. I watched those games and I've rewatched them this summer against the Thunder and Spurs. It wasn't like that. I wish he had hit more shots, but let's not act like that. This guy just did not belong on a basketball court. I think that's a stretch. And I agree. I think he's going to be a good player this year. He's a good player last year. He's a good power forward as there's been, in Houston, he's got a good attitude, and so I hope Houston fans, you know, I understand he's overpaid, but I think there's just this tendency because so so much these days, everyone loves to play fantasy GM. We all know how much traffic spikes during the summer. Everyone loves to do all this stuff on Twitter, the trade machines, stuff like that. And I get that no one was willing to absorb Ryan into cap space to make a deal like a Carmelo feasible, but that doesn't mean he's a bad basketball player. I have been told multiple times, Solomon, by people with the Rockets, that they had third-team proposals, not just Portland, others as well. Teams were interested in Ryan Anderson. It's just they would also have to shed salaries of their own to make it work, and that's not what the next, a rebuilding team, wanted to do. So ultimately, went with the Oklahoma City deal, Enos Cantor a year shorter, and that's certainly their prerogative. But the Rockets see Ryan Anderson as a valuable basketball player, and so did others around the league. And it kind of bothers me just the perception of these trade talks. No, it's not that teams around the league see Ryan as terrible and that no one wanted him. It's that the contract is overpaid, and so no one's going to take him just in the cap space for nothing. But as a basketball player, sure, he's absolutely useful. And he was a big part of how the Rockets won 55 games. And that's why I kind of laugh at some of the characterizations I've seen of, oh, if only they hadn't, seen, if only they hadn't signed Ryan Anderson last summer. No, Ryan Anderson signing him was a big part of why they won 55 games, which was a huge part of extending James Harden twice, convincing him on this organization, and then ultimately convincing Chris Paul to sign with the Rockets over both the Clippers and the Spurs. So Ryan Anderson, I'm not going to say he's overpaid. I'm not going to say he's a bad basketball player, and I'm also not going to say he hasn't been a positive for Houston because he certainly was last year. He was a big part of their success, and he can be this year as well. Right. Uh, there's a reason the Rockets have targeted Ryan Anderson for many years. Um, and there's a reason they weren't able to just give him up. And, like, I, I just think, like, the best characterization I saw Ryan Anderson yesterday was my, one of my followers tweeted at me, Ryan Anderson's much more valuable to the Rockets than he is to any other team in the NBA. Because he I'd buy that. Yeah, he's, he provides – he fills a role for the Rockets that um, – he's not going to fill for a rebuilding team like the Knicks. Like, he's just not. Like, that's why he's not an asset to the Knicks. And that's why it was so difficult to trade him to the Knicks. But if you're talking about, like, if you're talking about Ryan Anderson on, like, the Trailblazers, like, I think I think he makes them better. If you put him, yes. if you, if you put him on the Thunder, like, I think he makes them better. Like, yep. I, he, he, he makes a lot of teams better. And I, I, I just think that, you know, a lot of this is distorted because of his contract. But, yeah, we talked too, too much about this trade. I think the Rockets are fine. I think the Rockets yep. are in a good position moving forward. Daryl had an excellent summer, uh, and like one of the one of the better summers I've I've ever seen him have. Him and uh, Garrison Gears, Rosas, the assistant general manager, who doesn't get enough credit in, in this operation. Um, right. Yeah, and he they had an awesome summer, and I don't think Rockets fans should be upset. They're still in a pretty good position. They're still probably going to be a top four seed in the West this year. And, yeah, and one 
one final note that I'll throw out on this. Yeah, they had a great summer, and you know, for folks, what ifing about the exact order? Oh, if they hadn't traded for Chris Paul, would that have made it easier to go after Carmelo somehow? Which, as I said earlier, I don't think it would have. Well, folks, also because of that creative trade, doing it before the. Uh, July 1st start of free agency, then that's also exactly how, as an over-the-cap team, you were able to get P.J. Tucker, Tarek right. Black. You kept your exceptions. Exception, use an exception for Nene. So, yeah, it's not as simple as saying, well, if only you had staggered Chris Paul. No, that's how they were able to do other things besides Chris Paul and make this team as deep as, as it is right now. And that's how they were able to keep their draft picks and, and not have yep. to give up Ryan Anderson and dump that contract. Uh, like, yeah, it, 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 was an, it was a really creative trade, uh, beneficial for both sides. But yeah, I, I'm I'm totally fine with how things worked out here. Like I, again, like I, I, I'm someone who wasn't as high on Carmelo Anthony as uh, a lot of the fan base was. So I understand if I feel differently from how a lot of people how a lot of people feel. But I mean, trust me, he's not as good as you think he is. He's he's a good basketball <laughs> player, and and, and yeah. like, like I'm not trying to degrade him, but I but I, I, I promise you, when you watch him on national TV this year, he's not the Carmelo Anthony you see in your head every day. He's just not. Like I, I watch the Knicks a lot. I I, I know like he's. He's not the same guy. Yeah, I, I, you can take my word for it, or just w- watch this here when he gets a bigger platform. Uh, I'm not saying he's not going to be useful for the Thunder because I certainly think he will be, but I, I just think the Rockets are fine. The Rockets are yep. fine, and they they didn't um, they didn't blow this. Um, so let's go ahead and get to why I brought you on originally. Media Day. Um, yep. I am so excited for this Rockets season uh, and, and the NBA season in general. I have my league pass loaded up. Uh, so many teams made moves this off season, and the Rockets are atop that list and this team this roster is looking really really good going forward how excited are you for the season to begin very it's easy to kind of it's a weird vibe because certainly a lot of folks had built off this Carmelo notion in their head but I would say this Rockets team has a legitimate shot to win 60 which would be historic for this franchise I would say really if they're healthy I expect them to be very close if not 60 certainly in the 58 range maybe one of the better teams in franchise history and so I know people what if about Carmelo and, it, you know, certainly the, the presence of the Warriors, historically great, is a factor. But this is as good of a team entering training camp as I have ever seen as a Rockets fan. And I say that as someone who was born in 1984. So I've been around for a lot of this franchise. And it, this is as good as it gets. This is an incredible team with two players in the top 10. And it's almost unprecedented to have two point guards this smart, this savvy together. I'm really excited to see that what could happen. And of course, we've seen all off season the togetherness, the workouts, and you factor in you know basically two point guards. Then you have lights out three point shooters like Eric Gordon, like Ryan Anderson. Of course, you have the defense guys such as Trevor Reese, Tucker. You feel like this is the year year four where Clint Capella he's playing for an extension, so certainly he's going to have every motivation to try and get um, 30 minutes per game and to be a true upper tier starting center in the NBA. There's not anything you can point to this team and say, this is a weakness. You feel really good about this team. The only weakness you can nitpick is, are they quite as good as the Warriors, who are probably the most talented team in the history uh, of the league? And so I know there's you know, just a tendency because of the name Carmelo Anthony and it feeling inevitable and then somehow it not being to be disappointed. But folks, going into the season, I don't know if I've ever seen a roster quite this talented. This is a really, uh, the potential to be at least a really special group. Yeah, I think, and I put a poll on Twitter, and a lot of people agreed with me. I think this is the deepest and most talented in terms of top line talent Rockets team since two thousand nine. Uh, since that Yao and, and T Mac t- uh, team where where they were like with our test, yeah, like yeah. nine. They were like nine deep. That Luis Scola, 
uh, Ron Artest, uh, Aaron Brooks, Von Wafer. It was I was a deep, deep team. I think there is good. I think this roster is just as good, if not better, than that roster. And this is a unique position for this franchise because they haven't been this close in a while. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited. Uh, I'm sure you're excited. Um, so explain to the listeners what exactly is media and, and what does it entail? Media Day. Yeah. So media day, it's a fun day in which basically they make, of course, uh, Daryl Morey, Mike D'Antoni, essentially the heads of the franchise, but also pretty much any star player. They haven't officially released the list, but certainly James and James and Chris and I also expect the veterans, Trevor, Nene, Clint Capella, Eric Gordon, uh, hopefully Ryan. I know Ryan was in town last week. So hopefully he'll be available as well, because I know a lot of folks want to hear from him. But basically, the vast majority of the players, in addition to the uh, the GM and the coach, and it's a great day because you actually, of course, they're available to us as media. But what's different about it than, say, just a typical press conference, because certainly, you know, Tuesday will be the start of training camp, and I'll be there as well. And I'll, you know, it'll be fun to see and talk to them about. But when you get into the season, Solomon, everything becomes a day-to-day grind. In which, yeah, you can ask bigger picture questions, but it's essentially going to be the players, the coaches. 90% of the time, they're kind of going to redirect the question into basically whatever they have to do to get through the next day or two. And I understand that. The NBA season, 82 games, you know, it takes seven months to get to the playoffs. I understand you have to have a day-by-day focus just to get through. But what media day is cool is you actually get, you know, it's just understood the questions are about the season as a whole. They're also about looking back to what's happened over the summer but you actually get to ask some bigger picture things. And so, it, you know, if you're kind of an intense Rockets fan, which I feel like most people listening to, you know, either your podcast at Red Nation Hoops or me at Locked on Rockets, you know, if you're a more diehard fan like that, Media Day is for you because that's when you could ask the executives, the coaches, the players about big picture evaluations, where they are as players, where they think the team is, what they think the goals are. And so that's what's just so unique about it is that, the depth of the responses you get, you'll see them on Twitter all day tomorrow. You know, I'll do my best to retweet them all and tweet some myself. I'm sure you will as well. But you just get a deeper, uh, you just get more depth to the answers that it's really hard to get over the season. Because once once the NBA season starts, you, you know, it's kind of the same thing as uh, following baseball. For those of you that follow the Astros this summer, you know, yes, there's a place for journalists, but it just it generally just turns into a day-by-day sport. Whereas Media Day is the one time you can ask them really deeper questions like, where is this franchise at? How did this come together this summer? And where do you think you're going potentially this season? Right. The best way I can describe it is it's like a mixture of picture day and the first day of school, right? Like everybody's that too. Yeah. Like everybody's excited. It's zero, zero. Everybody thinks they have a chance at a championship. Um, It's a clean slate for everybody. The bad taste at everybody's mouth, Uh, except for the Warriors that got eliminated in the playoffs, you know, (laughs) Yeah, it's gone. Like, and like it's basically a new day, right? And like everybody is excited. Everybody wants the season to begin. Uh, Everybody's more open, as you said, like to talk about anything. Everything's on the table to discuss. Um, and everybody's in a good mood and that's pretty much why media day is so fun. Cause you get some of the best quotes from Daryl Morey, from Mike D'Antoni, from the players like James Harden. Sure. Like you, you get some of those best quotes. They come out at this time and, um, and it sparks a lot of debate on Twitter. It sparks a lot of debate on social media. It's, it's, it's just a really fun day for the fans. And that's what it's all about. For, it's, it's all about the fans, pretty much. Uh, you get you get to view your your favorite players, executives, coaches. You know, give their interviews, uh, answer questions, and it's it's just a good day for the fans. It's a good day for diehards, like people listen to this podcast. Uh, yeah, and you also 
I also feel like you get more of a personal connection too for that reason because obviously they're talking about the summer, they're talking about their goals. But some of it's just, you know, it, it can be fun things. It can be like what you've been doing this summer. In the case of Ryan Anderson, sure, there will be some awkward questions about what he thought. But you could also talk, you know, about, um, you know, Ryan getting married this summer, which I, thankfully, you know, it was the best timing ever, by the way, for Ryan to get married this summer, because at least, you know, it's not that he's active on social media, but at least he's had a distraction other than just following the rumors to the same extent that uh, that we have. You know, it's not like he's just been sitting at home on his couch doing nothing. I'm sure he's had a lot going on in his personal life with that. But that's the kind of thing, you know, you can talk to people on a personal level. And so that's what's fun, not just for media, but fans as well, because, you know, you just get a deeper and better answer than you do once you get into the grind of um, of an 82-game season, training camp, and everything that, that goes with that. Yeah, and I totally agree. Uh, so what are you most looking forward to in terms of media day? I'm not going to lie. I know this is going to sound like you know I'm wanting to stir drama, but I want to hear from Ryan Anderson and just make sure that he's okay. I'm pretty sure he will be. All of my experiences with Ryan this past year, he's been incredibly professional. He's not a guy with a huge ego. He gets it. Obviously, he's financially secure no matter where he goes. You know, he's got 80 million guaranteed. Well, now 60 million guaranteed over the next three years. But certainly, I'm sure he's noticed the fact that most around the team this summer expected him to be gone. He was not a part of the group that went to Vegas and worked out together, although he was getting married then, so maybe that was a factor. Um, but... It, even like the Chris Paul press conference, which was a big deal and kind of had a similar vibe. And I know the fans enjoyed that. Not a single person, not even Gerald Morey, mentioned Ryan Anderson by name. In the highlight package that was on the big screen, you know, they kind of meshed together Rockets highlights from last year with Chris Paul uh, photoshopped in a Rockets jersey throwing assists. And Ryan was the only rotation player not there. So it's, you know, I understand he's a great guy. I mean, he's as good of a guy as I've come across in the NBA. But... It, certainly, it's awkward that literally everyone with the organization basically assumed over for two plus months now that he would not be with the team, and yet he is. And I know they've taken some steps. You know, we learned from Gerald Morey's interview with Jonathan Fagan in the Chronicle last week. I thought Jonathan did a great job with that Q and A, by the way, on the Chronicle website. Right. But uh, yeah, we learned that he did sit down with Ryan last week and basically explain his frustrations and you know a big part of it I'm sure was how ridiculous the Knicks have been through this saga and perhaps one thing the Rockets have in their corner you know if there is something that seems a little sticky you can just point to hey these guys are the Knicks and they do have a history of doing some fairly uh, ridiculous things from time to time that uh, are not normal courses of action right but but you just want to see that Ryan's okay that he gets it like I said, I've never seen like a huge ego out of him. And I think, and I think on some level, if you ask him in private, Ryan's the kind of guy you say, "Hey, who's the better player? You or Carmelo Anthony?" He would probably say Carmelo. That's how low key he is. That's how unassuming. So I think he'll probably get it. I think he also realizes that both Chris Paul and James Harden have close relationships with, with Carmelo Anthony, and so I think he knows that none of this was personal. It just so happened that he had to be the guy that would move out both for salary reasons and because of the, pers- the position Carmelo plays. But at the same time, it-, it will be nice to hear from him and hopefully learn that, you know, that everything's okay, that he's able to put this behind him and go back to basically being the same guy he was last year in terms of not just a basketball player, but a teammate in that locker room as well. 
Yeah, and I, I think Rhino will be fine. I mean, few few players in, in the NBA today have been in as many trade rumors as Ryan Anderson. I mean, maybe Ricky Rubio, but I mean... That's, I, that's I, a good point, too. Yeah. When he was in New Orleans, he was on the block almost every deadline, it felt like. So he's been through this. Right, and, and I, he's a professional. I, th- I think he'll be fine. He, he knows it's not personal, it's just business. And uh, I think the Rockets are just precautious in that they kept every, you know, they, they kept his name out of stuff and they, you know, they, they didn't put anything in highlights. Like, I'm not sure if they... 100% expected to trade him but they kept they they just wanted to be safe right you did you sure didn't, you didn't want that possibility of him being traded and, and having him in the highlight package um so yeah that's going to be interesting what I'm most looking forward to from media day is the how they talk about the Warriors because well, I've, I've yeah. been so fascinated by the way this organization specifically Daryl Morey have talked about the Warriors up up until last Last season, like they were, they were talking about him after the trade deadline. Every move the Rockets have made felt like it was an, an intended like upgrade to go at the Warriors. Like it, it just feels like every move they make, they have the Warriors in the back of their mind. Like adding as many wings as they did this summer, PJ Tucker, Luke Mbamute, Um I think that's a direct response to challenging the Warriors and like you know and adding Chris Paul again. You need star talent to go at this top top level team and I, I i just find it fascinating how how open they've been about this because i've never seen daryl be this open about a t- about, about a competitor of his like he he rarely mentions team names he rarely mentions player names he's really safe about not getting fined but in, in reference to the warriors he's an open book like if 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 you ask him the right question he'll answer and i i'm interested to see how that goes it goes into media day how the players talk about it how um, how if how Daryl talks about it if he's asked about it again because yeah this this organization is clearly every move they make this this roster in general is designed to to go at the Warriors like the way they're designed from top to bottom is to combat what the Warriors are best at uh, you know they have all this great wing depth they have all this great um, front front court defense and they they have all this switchability on defense and shooting all shooters all over the floor and. I just I just find it fascinating how they're how they're constructing this roster, how they're openly talking about the Warriors, and um, I'm, I want to see if that carries into media day. I'll throw in one more thing, and it's somewhat tied in, I think, also to the pursuit of the Warriors. I want to see how much uh, ownership Chris Paul takes into this season and this team already, even as a guy who, in theory, should be the new kid in school. But ultimately, that's not what we've seen from Chris. One of the things that kind of bothers me on Rocket Twitter, it's so annoying, is this idea, this fascination of, oh, what if Chris leaves after one year because they didn't get Carmelo? And yes, I understand stuff can happen. He's only under contract for one season because he opted in, which, of course, the Rockets honestly did from a team-building perspective. My contention all along, and you can see it in a lot of his commentary, he picked the Rockets not just because it's a short-term championship shot but because he really likes the organization and one of the stories i thought you you i'm sure you really enjoyed as much as i did was that piece last week from uh, chris haynes at espn about the andre iguodala pursuit which the rockets became very close to and one of the things that was interesting about the iguodala pursuit you know talk about the rockets being in the meeting with iguodala i believe out in la and harden called maury during the meeting and maury answered it because of course you always answer the phone when james harden calls you know right but uh but James did not even realize at that time that they were meeting with Iguodala. Now, I'm sure James was in the loop enough to know that they at least had some some plans. But it, it was interesting that, it, you know, and I'm not going to call out James for that because I don't think most players in the NBA are that heavily involved. 
to where they would be in the meeting for, you know, you'd be in the meeting if it's like, you know, Dwight Howard in 2013, that sort of, you know, top free agent on the market, maybe. By and large, NBA players, you know, they'll text, they'll call. But when it comes to these meetings, they'll let the coaches, the GMs, the, you know, the basketball people run the show. Whereas what's interesting about that Chris Haynes story, you noted, you learned that basically Chris Paul came in the room and dominated the presentation, and he was the pitch guy. And the interesting thing about that, and of course we all know Chris and James, they're friends, they like each other, but they have very different personalities. James, as a leader, tends to be more hands-off. He tends to lead by example. Chris is very hands-on. And so one of the things he liked, he raved about the transparency of the Rockets organization, the leadership, all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to on-court stuff, I kind of have the feeling that, you know, it's not just about this year. For Chris, he's trying to build them long-term in his image. And so I think he's going to be, you know, more of the prototypical quarterback, whereas you think of more typical NBA leaders as opposed to James. And so I know it's it's a little different since it's technically his first day of school, but they've been working out together over the summer. And so when it comes to fielding the tough questions, pursuing the Warriors, everything they want to do, as a franchise this season, I want to see how firm Chris Paul is in his discussions, because I just have a feeling that even though he's the new kid, Chris Paul views this as his team. And from a hands-on perspective, I think he's going to be uh, as hands-on as it gets in terms of trying to build this team and talk about what their expectations are and doing a lot of the stuff that you would call, I guess, a, a coach on the floor, so to speak. Right, and uh, I think I think a lot of people forget that Chris Paul turned down money to come here. Like he waved yep. his trade Big kicker, time. he tra- he waved his trade kicker money just to come to Houston. I mean, this guy is clearly invested in and, the organization, and and, and and opting in. You know, opting in, he's got twenty five million dollars last year of his existing contract, which was the old cap. If he had become a free agent, his base salary would have been thirty five or forty million dollars. So yeah, right. he gave up a lot of money. I yeah, mean, he yeah. sees this as as his place, not just for this year, but this is where. He wants to go, not just from a James Harden perspective, certainly he likes that, but trust me, James, I mean, not James, Chris, as the, you know, the NBA Players Union head, he's as influential as any player in the league. He knows organizations inside out. So for him to choose Houston, you know, yeah, he believes they have a shot this year, and that's nice, but also long term, trust me when I say that he sees it as a place that he, you know, that he feels like he really fits from a hierarchy, leadership, that sort of standpoint. And so even though it's even though it'll be day one and technically he's new, I, I just have a funny feeling that you're going to see some quotes from Chris tomorrow about the Warriors and everything else. You're going to feel like, even though James Harden's probably still the best player, you're almost going to feel like it's kind of Chris Paul's team just because that's kind of the hands-on leader that he is. And I think that might catch a few Rockets fans off guard just because we're not necessarily used to having that kind of player in Houston because while Houston's had stars, both James Harden and Dwight Howard are a little more hands-off. Neither one of those is the stereotypical, you know, coach coach in the huddle type which Chris Paul certainly is so I think seeing him and kind of having the contrast between Chris and his teammates I think that's going to be something interesting to watch tomorrow as well right Harden and Dwight were kind of aloof they, they didn't really speak much they weren't that vocal um sure. and, and Chris Paul is the complete opposite you can hear like you'll, you'll always hear stories about season ticket holders able to hear what Chris Paul is saying on the floor yep. in Los Angeles like the, that's how loud he is on the floor um, he's more of an extrovert, whereas James Harden is an introvert. So I, I get what sure. you're saying from that perspective. And like, yeah, I, I, it, it's weird with Chris Paul because it feels like he's already a Houston Rocket, and he hasn't even played a game yet because this trade happened so early in the offseason. And you yeah. kind of, you kind of forget that it, it happened before tr- free agency even started. Like, and he was like the first star to change teams. And yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of why the the luster from the Chris Paul acquisitions kind of worn off because it, it happened so long ago. 
and it, and like everybody's kind of focused on the right now. It, yep. That's a major acquisition, man. Yeah, and I think I think also, yeah, it's major. And, you know, both the ESPN and SINBA ranks had him at seventh in the league, which I think is completely fair. Right. And I just feel like it's the perfect storm because a lot of folks on NBA Twitter, it's a combination of exposure in big games, and there's also kind of a shiny new toy syndrome that goes with all these evaluations. The thing about Chris Paul, he's older. Not people point out that he's 32, but the flip side, what not a people point out, he has shown no signs of slippage at all. If you look at his advanced stats, you can barely tell any difference from when he was 28. And so part of it's, you know, he understands his body. He's such a cerebral player that he understands maintenance, and he's the kind of guy I would almost compare him, although he's not as a defensive liability to the same extent, uh, as Dirk Nowitzki. Now, I'm not comparing him defensively. Chris Paul's first team defense, and even Dirk at his best, was not a good defensive player. But what I mean in terms of the comparison is that Dirk was able to last long in his career because his, his game was not fully built around athleticism. He was a guy, Dirk was still elite, even going to 36, 37, because of how well he understood his body, how cerebral he was. And even though Chris is a little more defensive-oriented than uh, Dirk was, I think there's still that same dynamic of their prime being able to last longer. Nonetheless, NBA fans on Twitter, they just see his age, 32, and you know people start to wonder, oh, maybe he's past his prime. And then the other thing is that, well, you, know, you have veterans, if they're not past their prime, they get to prove it in the playoffs. Well, the last two years, the Clippers have just had no shot because two years ago, both Chris Paul and Blake Griffin got hurt. This past year, it was Griffin, but basically they the Clippers the last two years have had catastrophic playoff injuries at the worst time, the kind that you just can't expect any team to reasonably recover from. The year before that, of course, they would have been in the conference finals, except Josh Smith and Corey Brewer went absolutely insane. And so because of that, you know, it's, I know it can get overstated, but genuinely, the Clippers did have some bad luck the last three years in terms of not getting as many postseason games as they deserved. And I'm not saying that they would have been a championship team, Solomon. What I'm saying is that if the Clippers had a little better luck, at least you would have seen them have a higher volume of playoff games, even if they didn't win those series to where the casual NBA fan would see Chris Paul enough on the big stage and realize just how good of a player that is. As it turned out, he hasn't been on the big stage. You see that he's 32, and there's just this tendency to think that, well, you know, maybe these younger guys, it, you know, it floored me earlier this summer to see how many people actually thought that Kyrie Irving was as good or even better than Chris Paul. And, of course, they're not even close. Chris Paul is a substantially better player. But Kyrie Irving has just been on that stage the last couple of NBA Finals, and so that just tends to kind of drive the thinking, especially for fans that don't follow closely. So I think it's sort of the perfect storm for why Chris Paul has been overlooked a little bit. And in addition to the acquisition ha happening early, I think that's why not everyone fully realizes just how influential it is. But yeah, I'm with you. I think it's absolutely that big. I agree with the rankings and say he's a top seven player in the NBA and it's massive. It's as big of a free agent acquisition and, as the Rockets franchise has ever had. Right. Chris Paul is really, really good. We're talking about a guy who's continually in the MVP conversation year after year after year. In fact, even at the beginning of last season, like he had an awesome first stretch before he got hurt. Like a lot of people, including myself, thought he was the front runner for MVP in the beginning at the before mm -hmm. before he got before he got that first injury. And he has those awesome stretches where he can just take over a game by himself. And you know the the, the playoff stuff. Yeah, it, it's hurt him in terms of reputation. But I mean. It's not like he hasn't performed at the, in the playoff, right. playoff level. Like, there's a reason we call him a point god. Like, this guy shows up in the biggest moments. He's he's an insanely clutch player. And over the years, yes, he's getting older. But I mean, 
in some aspects of his game, he's getting better. Like he's the last year was his best three point shooting year of yep. his career. Um, his assist to turnover ratio, which I find surprising, it's going down year after year after year. That keeps dropping, like to where it's almost non-existent how much he how little he turns the ball over. Like he this yep. guy this guy's a fantastic ball handler, one of the best ball handlers in the NBA. Um, his game is just not as flashy. It's it's very cerebral, and um, that's why he's just not as exposed and not as exciting. But yeah. This guy's an awesome, awesome player. Major acquisition. Last question before we get out of here, Ben. Um, who are you most looking forward to interviewing at Media Day? Well, that's a good question. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say Chris Paul or Ryan Anderson, even though it might be Ryan for the reasons we've already discussed. I'm I'm trying to think of who um This is gonna be a little off this is gonna be a little off the wall, but I'm gonna say Nene. Only because mm-hmm. I want to, you know, Nene is kind of the elder statesman, but he's one of those hands-on leaders. You know, I want to see what he thinks. E- even though he's only, you know, during the season at least, an 18 minutes per game backup off the bench, he is very influential in the hierarchy of that locker room. You know, a lot of guys love him. And so I want to hear what he thinks about the offseason. I would also love selfishly to figure out what the hell happened in the first few days of July, because we all remember the drama of when they had the deal, then they didn't because of the whole, you know, the Rockets misunderstood what the age 38 rule, right. uh, how it was characterized. You know, does it start July 1st or does it start October 1st? Uh, which is a, you know, it's an easy thing to misunderstand, but it was just a very awkward situation. So I kind of want to hear from him. Um, and I'm going to answer, it's going to be 1A, one a 1B. I want to hear from an A because he's a very interesting, fascinating guy, a great interview, very forward. He's a leader, very respected. I also want to see Clint Capella. So I want to interview Nene, but I want to see Clint. Because the other thing about Clint every year, you can tell. One of the reasons that I like Clint, and certainly the Rockets love him, there is nobody that works harder than that guy. And it feels like every year his body turns out more chiseled and you know more ready, it feels like, to handle the rigors of... you know A lot of, a lot of folks say, well, why can't he just play 35 minutes per game? Well, he could. The question is maintaining peak efficiency, what it takes being an NBA player you know, a big man that's basically seven feet tall running up and down the court in a high, high-paced high offense for 35 minutes a night. That's tough. Could he do it? Sure, he could. The question for the Rockets, why they've kept him you know, slowly bumping him from 20 minutes, then to 25, then to 30 is, okay, how do we maintain him at his maximum efficiency? And you know, every year, you can just see his body develop each and every year. And this is year four. It's also a contract year for him. So yeah, Clint's a nice guy. I want to interview him. I also just want to see him because I just have a feeling that Clint is going to wow people with his physique because you compare it. I mean, just his normal work ethic is tremendous. And then you combine it that, Hey, this is a year where he's undoubtedly the starter at center. It's not like last year where, you know, it was that 24, 24 split in the year. Also, everyone knows it's a contract year. So yeah, I'm excited to interview today, but I'm also excited to see Clint Capella. Cause I just have a feeling that he's going to look uh, in pretty awesome shape. Once we see him at Toyota center tomorrow. Yeah. Those are interesting answers. I'm super high on Clint Capella. Everybody knows this. I'm, uh, I, I'm, really excited about his potential defensively if he's become a better rim protector over the summer um and yeah he's muscle watch 2017 is in full effect yes. and that's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be a big story going into next summer and you know the thing i found really fascinating about about clint capella is how much chris paul raved about him during his introductory yep. press conference because you don't really see you, you don't really see that from a major acquisition from a like like Chris Paul, like you don't really see him talk about a young player like Clint Capella, but everybody in the organization is super high on him. People outside the organization realize how much potential he has defensively. This guy has, I'm not kidding, I'm not exaggerating, he has all defensive potential in terms of how good he can be on it at that end of the floor. He just has that kind of mobility and length defensively. It, and he just has the right attitude, too. It, he, 
he's obviously that athletic. He's a good defensive player. I agree. He's got even more room to go there. But the best part of all, he just has the right attitude and that he is incredibly coachable. I'm not. This is going to sound like I'm taking a shot at Dwight Howard, but I'm really not. With Dwight, everyone knew he could be a good pick-and-roll player. He didn't fully embrace it, and a lot of big men don't because it's easier just to get the ball on the low block. There's less energy expended, and a lot of big men, you know, they hate being active in the pick-and-roll, and then if they don't get the ball or it doesn't work out, they feel like it was just a waste of their energy. And I know that's going to sound like I'm taking a shot at Dwight, but the reality, a lot of big men are that way in the NBA. That's just the culture. That's just the way it goes. But Clint is the type of guy, he will do whatever his coaches tell him. He will run that pick-and-roll until his legs fall off. He is He's just wired differently. And so now that's why James Harden loved him, and now you have basically two elite point guards in, on that pick-and-roll and Chris Paul and James Harden, and you have a center that is willing to run it essentially relentlessly. Yeah, I mean, he is a best friend, I think, on the basketball court for both Chris and James, and it's easy to understand why I, I couldn't be higher on him. I'm the same way that you are on Clint. I think it's going to be a huge, huge year for him. Right. Uh, contract season, it's going to be big. My answers are kind of boring. Uh, I feel like you can say this answer every single year, and it'll, it'll be correct. My, my, Who I'm most looking forward to like hearing from the press conference is Daryl Morey. Like, just every year, he, yeah. has, he has this money quote, whether it's last year saying, I want to be a top-four team in the West, which kind of threw everybody aback. Because I remember uh, even people in the, in the in the local media didn't expect that much from the Rockets. Like People thought yeah. the Rockets would win maybe 40, 45 games. And to, for him to come out and say, we want to be a t- we want to have home port home court, home court. Yep. yeah that that was a big quote right and it, it set the standard for where the Rockets wanted to be um, and I want to see what he what he says this year like it, like and again in reference to the Warriors I want I want to see what he says when he what, what he's going to say about that I want to see like I, I don't think Daryl's done dealing like and and that might be a little hot takeish but I just I just I just feel like he has one more thing sure. up his sleeve like, I I just think. It may not happen right now. It probably won't happen right now. Maybe it'll happen the trade. I just think he has. Yeah. He's 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 hiding something. And, yeah. And like, yeah, that's why I'm. Go ahead. No, I've made the point that yeah, in the uh, Carmelo chase, it's not that the Rockets didn't have assets. It's that Carmelo was not worth those assets. But either way, as we said earlier, you probably need one more move to truly get as good as they are now to truly get to a Warriors talent level. And the Rockets are not assetless. They've got pieces. It's just it wasn't really worth it to go all in with Carmelo being that guy, because I think we're both in agreement. He's not anymore. But yeah, maury has got, you know, I wouldn't say they have just loaded assets, but they've got better assets than most people think. It's just a matter of the player being worth it. I don't think Carmelo was, but ultimately there could be guys closer to the deadline that are. So I'm in agreement with you uh, on Gerald. One more thing I want to sneak in real quick, uh, and I don't know if you had more to add on Gerald. You certainly can. I should have also mentioned I want to hear from James Harden. I know that's the obvious answer. I thought you right. were going to say that at first when you were saying it was obvious. But the one thing from James will be interesting to hear. You know, I trust him. He's been tremendous here. But there is a theme to James in which he's put up his best seasons. James has been fabulous in Houston no matter what. But he's put up his best seasons when he's doubted. Two years ago, the first time when he won the Players MVP, last year, we all know how great he was. They were each coming off, you know, one was coming off the first year that felt like they underachieved with Dwight Howard. And, of course, last year was coming off of 41 and 41 when they certainly underachieved by any metric. And so James seems to fuel off of doubt. If there's one nitpick you could point at James, it's how does he handle success? How does he handle, you know, when the press is good, as it was fairly good this summer. But my sense is that, A, he's matured a little bit personally, and, B, if he needed a little bit of a kick to drive him, certainly the way the Spurs series ended and some of the hits he took in the national media after Game 6, 
I have a sense that even though the Rockets had a very successful summer, you're still going to see the same type of driven James Harden that you did one year ago. I know that's kind of an obvious answer, but I, I should have thrown that in earlier, and so I wanted to kind of cut you off and uh, no, no, apologies for that, throw that in as well. No, you're good. Harden looks jacked. Like, and yeah, like he posted I've noticed that, that too. Yeah, he put that picture up on Instagram, but you can even see it when he's wearing like these jerseys for like uh, media day and stuff. Like You can see the kind of he's developed his body over the summer and this this maturation process with Harden really started last summer like he he, he he took a total totally different ownership over the franchise last summer I felt like and, and like it extended into last season into that incredible MVP year and it's carried through this summer like it didn't look like he it didn't look like he uh put his foot on the brake like it looked like he worked his ass off in this summer yeah and it he, was not like the 2015 summer when you know he went on sort of the Kardashian tour, which of course I thought was overplayed, but there's certainly some truth in it. You know, he was that was when he was with Chloe. That that was when he and uh, Ty Lawson were together all the time. Just this summer did not have that sort of vibe at all from James Harden off the court. Yeah, I think I think we're gonna have to retire Harden Fat Watch. I think it's over. Yeah, like, like there I, you go. I like that. Yeah, I, I I think like I I think Harden's kind of figured it out. Like you have to be a top level at to be a top level athlete in the NBA. You have to stay in shape. You have to work your ass off in the summer to eat, in order to just compete with the top of the West. That's what these professional athletes do. And I think Harden's learned that lesson. I think he I think he's taken that to heart. I think these criticisms are actually going to be good for Harden. The fact that the Rockets lately uh, with this Kamal Anthony trade and other stuff, um, they're starting to be overlooked in terms of a top level team in the West. Uh, and I, I'm. I'm fascinated to see how this team responds. Uh, yeah, it, it, they right. do their best when they're overlooked. Right. Yeah, they absolutely do. Uh, if you remember the 2014-15 season, they were absolutely overlooked. Uh, last season, yep. they were overlooked. Um, and I, I, I believe this season, they're kind of overlooked. But, I mean, not in the ways that they were last year, but still mm-hmm. enough to where you can have that kind of inner motivation. Yeah, so I'm. this season's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to media tomorrow. I'm looking forward to having you on the podcast later in the season because we have a lot to talk about in terms of this Rockets season. Absolutely. This is going to be a great year, buddy. Yeah, and uh, that's Ben DuBose. Do you have anything to plug before we head out? Uh, not beyond the obvious. For those who aren't already listening to Locked on Rockets, please do. Now that media day and training camp starts this week, I'm going to go back to having a daily podcast, usually 15 to 30 minutes of just Rockets talk each day. We'll see what we learn. But yeah, Locked on Rockets, you can subscribe to us, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all the platforms, pretty much the same places, I'm sure, where we can find your show as well. And as far as podcasts go, it's always the more the merrier. The more basketball conversation there is, uh, the better. So if you're not already listening to my show, please do so. And of course, if you're not already already listening to Salman's show, uh, I strongly urge you to listen to uh, folks to listen to your stuff as well. Right, guys, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Give us a good rating if you like the show. If you didn't like the show, give us a good rating anyways. And yeah, guys, (laughs) good night.